Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. Today, we're joined by a very special guest. He's a science journalist specializing in health and technology and the author of a revolutionary book called The Psychobiotic Revolution, Mood, Food, and the New Science of the Gut-Brain Connection. It is Scott Anderson, of course. Happy to have you here, Scott. Thank you very much for joining us. Take us back to the beginning. Where did you actually hear and learn about psychobiotics and how did that prompt you to actually write your book? Certainly. I I came out to Ohio to work with racehorses, of all things. I've got a fondness for horses, and some people wanted me to set up a laboratory out here. So I created a laboratory, and then we created some uh, prebiotics for the horses. At the time, we weren't quite sure why the things were working the way that they were working, but we had some pretty good hints that it was bacterial that was at the root of some of these problems. It turns out horses, racehorses, These kinds of horses all had ulcers, it seemed. And we were kind of shocked by that. We knew a lot of people had known that horses had ulcers in the stomach. And so there is a treatment for that. And people are using that treatment pretty much all the time. Uh, But what we suspected was that there were lesions in the colon as well. That was not expected. You can't really look at a colon in a horse because they you would have to clear the colon out. And to do that would take a couple of days. And by the time you do that, the horse is pretty much dead because they require constant feeding. So it was a tricky thing to do. It, ultimately, what we had to do is we had to go to abattoirs. And at the abattoirs where the horses are being brought in, we were actually able to examine these horses as they were killed. We were able to look at their intestines and we found out that indeed, they did have colonic ulcers. So that was one of the first things that that got us going. And we still didn't know exactly what was causing the ulcers, but we did know that our prebiotic that we were using was helping. So I started to make a supposition that this was, because it was a prebiotic, we didn't really understand. This was 15, 20 years ago. So we didn't understand all of the etiology of the horse problems. We didn't understand exactly why our product was working. But it seemed like it was bacterial. And so we started to do some studies where we took swabs and we started to analyze the bacteria that we got in the lesions and compared that to the places that didn't have lesions. And indeed there was a different bacterial population in those spots. So I started to look around to see what was going on. We knew that these horses, the ones that were affected, seemed to have some performance problems. They call them poor doers. And that basically meant that they were kind of hanging around the the barn with a long face and they were, without trying to be too anthropomorphic about it, they seemed depressed. I started to look into the connection between gut bacteria and depression and I came across some articles by a fellow uh, named John Cryan and his partner who was writing with him, Dr. Ted Dynan of University College Cork. And both of them were working on exactly what I was looking for. They were looking at bacteria that caused depression, where the depression could be overturned with different kinds of bacteria. And they called those bacteria, these these bacteria that improved mood, they called them psychobiotics. 
So I immediately wrote off to John Cryan, and it turned out he had actually read some of the work that I'd been doing. Uh, I was working on uh, uh, articles and books about obesity and stem cells and various other topics, and he had actually read some of that stuff. I pitched him the idea of doing a book, and he agreed. That took a couple of years, actually, because the research was ongoing, and one of the questions that we had was, this was at the beginning, and the studies that they had been doing were with germ-free mice. It's really hard to know exactly what bacteria are doing to a body. So if you take away the bacteria, it's a lot easier to find out what's going on. And when they did, when they created these germ-free mice, they found out right off the bat that they didn't behave the same way. So they said, well, why in the world are bacteria affecting the behavior of these animals? or the lack of bacteria in this case. So I talked to John and Ted about this. I said, this is great. The research is fantastic. This is the way to find out what's going on. But I would really like to, to know if this is going to be applicable to humans as well. Uh, it's one thing to write a book about how to deal with your depressed mouse. It's another one to, to talk about how to actually deal with your own depression. And so he, they, John turns out to be the editor of many of these, editor or, or at least uh, uh, an associate of many of the journals that are out there and had access to some of the latest research. And he guaranteed me that we were going to have human uh, subjects before the end of the book was done. It stretched things out a little bit, but that's why uh, finally we were able to get everything put together in 2017, at the end of 2017. And that's when uh, National Geographic picked up the book and we went forward with it from there. Yeah, and just to be then super clear, like how do you define a psychobiotic, a probiotic, and a prebiotic? Probiotics, of course, are, are des the designation means that these are bacteria that are good for your health. That's the, the probiotic part. Prebiotics are those fibers, basically, uh, oligosaccharides, complex sugars that feed those bacteria. Those are sugars that are not digestible by your own enzymes, by your own gut. Uh, they make it all the way to your colon, completely undigested, and that turns out to be a substrate for bacteria that grow in the colon. So what we found was that with prebiotics, you could feed the beneficial bacteria in the colon. And psychobiotics, on the other hand, are a combination of prebiotics and probiotics. Probiotics in general were the first things that people were looking at. And so John and Ted were looking at probiotics as the first kind of psychobiotic. Later on, I think this is about two years after the book came out or a year after the book came out, they changed their mind. They said, we're going to also include prebiotics as a part of the definition of a psychobiotic. So psychobiotics actually include both prebiotics and probiotics. And they are basically anything that can help to improve the mood or to get rid of depression or anxiety in people that are suffering from some of these issues. We often think that the only ways to cure a lot of these conditions People don't really think that you could improve these things so dramatically with what you put in your mouth, right? So I guess that's part of this uh, revolutionary angle. Correct. And, and still, there are a lot of people yet to be sold on the idea. So a lot of psychiatrists in particular have vested interest in doing certain kinds of things. There are Freudians who are doing their talk therapy, and there are a lot of people who are advocating psychoactive drugs, uh, Zantac and Prozac, things like that. So those are things that are currently being done with 
more or less success, sometimes not working all that well. There are a lot of downsides, a lot of side effects to some of these psychoactive drugs. Prozac and things like that can actually help you put weight on, which can contribute to further depression. So this is some of these things are not working for people. And Dr. Dynan, the one of my co-authors, is a practicing psychiatrist. And with some of his patients, especially those who are saying, well, I tried the, the, you know, the antidepressants you gave me. Um, they didn't work all that well. It kind of made me feel funny. And I've been putting weight on. And he says, well, we've got something else if you want to try it. And they say, well, I'll do anything. And he has started several of these, on, several of these people onto psychobiotics. And in particular, bifidobacteria species, lactobacillus species that are specifically tuned to help with depression and anxiety. And it's working. A lot of his patients are finding that they can get rid of their antidepressants. Some are just using this as an adjunct. So they're lowering the amount of uh, antidepressants or anti-anxiety drugs that they're taking. So in both cases though, what we're finding whether you're just substituting or you're doing it adjunctively, um, these things are proving to be very valuable in his practice. And now we're starting to see a lot of really good research that's coming out with humans and that's showing that uh, this is not just uh, a one-off. This is not just a lucky thing. This turns out to be really important. And the question that a psychiatrist has to figure out is how much of their practice is actually involved with gut issues rather than just strictly mental issues. There's lots of good reasons to be depressed and anxious uh, that have nothing to do with your gut. Bereavement, sadness of in general, your, your job got, you lost your job, uh, the pandemic is driving you crazy. Lots of good reasons that have nothing to do with your gut. I guess what's interesting is that that sounds quite logical if you were to strip back what you pre-existing already might think. That's logical to say that some like nutritional intervention would have more of an impact on your genes because it's not like your thoughts are hardwired. That doesn't come through your genetic coding. Well, unless you watch certain uh, sci-fi movies. Uh, that's correct. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I, I've seen some of these things where it's like, no, I don't think that's going to happen. Now, we have seen some really interesting things with epigenetics, and you can tag certain genes, and that can actually be inherited. And so some kinds of things may be passed on. It's not clear that you can pass on depression like that, but there is a genetic component. So how much of it's genetic? How much of it is just society? societal and how much is actually your gut. And we're starting to get some new clues with some new studies that have shown that up to 70% of people with depression and anxiety also have gut issues. And so this is a, a, a real clear connection and it kind of gives you an idea of how big this problem is. And I think that what we're going to see is more and more of these kinds of studies that are going to show us that this is actually a really, really big issue that we need to be looking at. And psychiatrists, when they get a patient in, they should probably do a gut workup. They should ask for a gut workup for that person as well, right off the bat, because that could easily tell them which direction to go. So if you've got a good diet, should you be supplementing with psychobiotics anyway? If you've got a diet like the Mediterranean diet and you can actually adhere to it and you've got the ability in your neighborhood or in your environment to get those kinds of foods, and if you are smart enough to know how to get all of the variety, then you can probably do pretty well. Uh, people on uh, the Mediterranean diet, people on certain other diets that are kind of 
well-established, that have some cultural uh, background to them, those are actually not bad diets. And those are diets that can make people really seem to act without depression, without anxiety. So yes, the answer is yes, you can do it. It seems like that's quite possible. Uh, I think that the problem that we have is that the Western diet is taking over the world and the Western diet is the worst possible diet for this sort of thing. And what's going on is that in, in order to make everything delicious and absolutely almost to make food addicting in essence, we have taken out the fiber. The fiber was one of those things that said, wow, we can make this bread turn into really white bread and we can make really white cakes. All we have to do is get rid of this horrible fiber stuff. And people weren't sure what fiber was at all. All they knew is that they could get rid of it by spinning it out, by doing different chemical reactions and getting rid of it. And they made these delicious foods and then we all started to get fat and we all started to get miserable. And now depression is the number one cause of disability in the world. So mission accomplished, food manufacturers. You have brought the whole world to the brink of disaster. And it's about time that they take some, if not credit for it, at least take some some cognizance of the consequences of their actions here. It's time to bring the fiber back. It's time for people to figure out which fibers are the good fibers. And it's time for them to start making sure that they understand when they make a food product, that they're also feeding not just your, not just the, their customers, but their customers' microbes as well. I think that's very reasonable. And I think it's worth saying, like, you know, and I don't know the answer to this as well, by the way. So in case any listener thinks this is a setup at all, but you know more than most about what to eat and what not to eat and everything else, right? But you're saying that you're calling in from Ohio. So, you know, you're, you're also limited to an extent by your circumstances. So even though you can eat the perfect diet all the time, do you still supplement with a psychobiotic based on what you know? Yeah, I cook as close to as I can to the Mediterranean diet. And so and, and I do my own cooking and we don't eat out. So uh, rarely. And when we do eat out, we'll often go to a, a Mediterranean style restaurant. But even so, it's so hard to keep up with the amount of fiber that is required. We should be getting probably close to between over 30 grams of fiber a day, probably closer to 50. If you look at the uh, the Hadza group, a group of people in Africa who are still eating a more natural diet, those people are getting like 50 grams of fiber a day. And it's almost impossible to get 50 grams of fiber a day. That turns out to be one of those things where I do supplement as well as consume a, a Mediterranean diet. Awesome. Love it. Thank you so much, Scott. Appreciate it. And see you in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. If you want to know more about how well you're feeding your brain, you can head to yourheights.com forward slash brain food to get your free score from one to 100 and start taking action from there. See you next week.